Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 81 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Ray Dollars. And I'm joined here by my luxurious co-host, former market maker of 20 years and current day retail trader, a man who used to charge tuition prices to concoct the press release for your make-believe company, (laughs) the infamous son of Regina, JJ. Ray, what's up, brother? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How how are you feeling? Getting ready for the big move? Getting ready. Getting ready. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Good luck on that. And our guest today has been a professional options trader for the past 10 years. Cambridge graduate, worked at numerous tech startups in Silicon Valley, and then embarking on a highly successful career at Microsoft, headline speaker at the Money Show in Las Vegas, Nevada, <laughs> the founder of Option Savvy, an options training company. And with a name like his, it was quite obvious he was destined for a career as a trader. Of course, I'm talking about Steve Hedge. Steve, how's it going? Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for that intro. I'm glad you said headline and not hairline on the, uh, on the Vegas <laughs> stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I see you got spruced up for the podcast. I, I appreciate I, you taking this serious. I did. I um, definitely had a good haircut because sometimes, you know, for me, it kind of grows outwards and looks looks kind of funny. but. Now you just get the polished, you know, with the lighting. It might it might blind a few people, but that kind of goes with the territory. It goes with the territory. Uh, yeah. You know, I had so you know for the listeners, um, I, I had the pleasure of meeting Steve, uh, hanging out with Steve in Las Vegas. Uh, I believe uh, what um, September yeah. twenty twenty one. We had a little equities ETC micro e future room meetup, and uh, Steve, there's this uh, narrative out there, this lore that we had some wild night uh out in las vegas and you know I, i'm sorry to break it to the people but this legendary night consisted of uh me and steve at the bar talking probability theory for like three four hours uh, and I, think, I think i think we covered exactly the same topic over and over again for like those three hours it, it, it might have just it, been a loop yeah just <laughs> what, what what do you remember what, what do you remember from that <laughs> night no, I mean, it was, you know, and like you said, it was the first time that we'd met. And yeah. I'd actually only been a member of the trading room. I think I, I was looking the other day and I joined in, um, I think it was the middle of August. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd only been a member of the of the room for about a month. And um, so obviously that was our first meeting. And I knew, uh, you know, part of what attracted me to um, you guys in the first place was I... I saw Peter Reznicek, um, one of your early podcasts. And I, you know, it was funny because when you were interviewing him and JJ was talking about, I think, I, correct me if I'm wrong, JJ, you saw this, was it the Shadow Trader Uncovered on Tasty Trade or something back in the day? Exactly, exactly. And that's yeah. exactly where I was, probably about the same time we were probably watching the same episodes. And, probably. Uh, which is just funny. And um, I was more on the option side at that point, but, it, you know, and I've never really been a technical trader, but the whole um, market profile stuff kind of made sense to me, the auction style. And so um, when I heard you guys on the podcast, uh, you know, and Peter was on there, that's how I um, came, came into the room uh, or discovered you. And it was just, oh, wow, these, these guys, 
you know, there's a lot of synergy and, and Ray being a poker player and I knew options trading and poker and I was just wondering, wow, does Ray trade options? Like, I think he kind of should uh, just based on everything that he was saying. And um, anyway, so that all ended up when we met in Vegas, just having that whole conversation about, hey, from my perspective, a lot of traders come from the poker background and the, the two are, are linked because to a large degree, it's all around probability. And so yeah. we were just mm -hmm. going over the same, hey, you, you know, probability this, probability that in a bar at like 3 a.m. Just yeah. like a couple of, couple of cool dudes. Just a couple, <laughs> of, a couple of cool dudes. Yeah, I mean, it had to have been probably even later than that um yeah, you know i enjoy i i enjoyed the conversation uh i mean that's that's when i think you like you really like sold me and i was like man like i felt like a dumbass i'm like why did i not get into options um sooner and we'll we'll jump more obviously into the conversation options is going to come up um you know what, what resonated with me from that night or one of the things i do well there's a couple things i remember um but one of them was that you said you know i guess I probably mentioned on this in the podcast, like early on about um, not seeing the world black and white. And a lot of people do see the world black and right, uh, white, and it even kind of goes to probability, right? There's rarely, in a, uh, rarely any certainties. Um, when did you first like, real, like, have you always seen life this way? Or like, when did this really like dawn on you? Well, I mean, it probably has some deep rooted background. I, at college, I, um, my specialty, um, I graduated with, um, I worked in speech processing and computer vision. Um, that was my degree and, and master's. And, you know, there's a lot of math in there. It's an engineering degree. Um, and it, all of that technology is really rooted in probabilistic thinking. Mm -hmm. If you think about trying to recognize speech, I mean, there's a lot of variables. There's accent, um, which I'm obviously full aware of. Um, and you, it's trying to predict based on, it's a probabilistic model. When you say certain sounds, you know, there's a, there's a finite dictionary of words, a grammar. And so it's, 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 you know, this sound combination with this sound combination, it's continuously looking at the probability that this sound is going to come after this sound. And so it's a very probabilistic process. I mean, that's how that entire thing works. And um, self-driving cars, you know, trying to recognize pedestrians. Nothing's ever 100%. It's always going to be, I'm 95% sure that's a pedestrian, not a dog or not a tree. But, you know, because based on the certain characteristics, but nothing's ever 100%. Um, and, it, and it's everything's, you know, which is <laughs> in, in a lot of ways kind of scary. Because um, you always think, you know, even uh, maybe the medical pro profession, you go to the doctor, you've got some symptoms. Off, I used to think when I was much younger, oh, it would be 100% that it's this. But yeah. then later you realize they're just, they're just going through the questions and building a picture, going through effectively a series of probabilities and going, it's likely to be this, so we're going to go down. So it's kind of everywhere in, in the world. And, um, you know, it's, and it's kind of fascinating because a lot of the theory behind probability was developed hundreds of years ago. Um, and that's what I learned at college. and. You know, yeah, I'm a tech guy, but you know, definitely at that level, it it became way over my head, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but I was I was interested enough to um, you know go down the speech recognition um, route, and I after graduation, I um, ended up in the 
speech industry working for a company in England. And kind of funny aside, I remember after I graduated, um, and I was definitely just focused on speech companies because that was my degree. And I remember distinctly getting a headhunter call from, <laughs> from someone from Goldman Sachs. And I'd heard of Goldman Sachs. Um, but I, you know, I, at that time, I'm an engineer. I want to change the world through engineering and all that kind of stuff. I had zero interest in anything to do with finance. And there was this guy just called me up out of the blue and said, hey, you know, Goldman Sachs would be really interested in someone with your background um, coming on board. And I almost just cut him off and was like, look, I have zero interest. Just, you know, just do not care about that. That does not... I, I don't I just don't care and I don't think I was rude on the phone because you know I'm British and stuff like that but it was um you know I just effectively ended the phone call and moved on with my life and I won't say that's haunted me it's just a kind of irony that I'm now ending up part of me wishes oh if I'd have if I'd have done that what would life have been like I mean I don't know it's just so interesting how these things happen yeah. Um, but anyway, that aside, um, yeah, I worked for some speech companies um, and it's, you know, it's always interesting. So this was back in the late nineties and speech recognition was definitely, you know, we had a joke, we'd call it like beach demolition because it could never, yeah. Speech recognition sounded like beach demolition <laughs> and <laughs> things would, things were, yeah, it was kind of a nerdy joke. It wasn't a, it wasn't a good one at all, but the, the Holy grail of speech recognition back in that time was, you know, people would own video cassette recorders, VCRs. And the joke was that they were always flashing with the clock because no one could set the clock on these things. They would just flash 12. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, the, the kind of paradigm was, wouldn't it be great if you could just speak to your VCR and set the time? That would be like, that's, the whole, that's what we're aiming for throughout this entire, this entire thing. And... Um, you know, obviously, that problem got solved with VCRs not becoming, not ending up being a thing whatsoever. And in fact, the the problem now is explaining to the younger people what a VCR actually was. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's just very interesting. I mean, that was twenty plus years ago, and obviously the world's moved on. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, and I did some a bit of traveling around that time, different countries, which again was interesting with the speech recognition spent some time in malaysia um if it ended up in the u.s working for microsoft as you said and um yeah i mean i worked there for 10 years and um it's been a it's been an interesting journey to get to to where i am but yeah malaysia was definitely kind of interesting i will say that yeah we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that i just want to ask you the, the speech recognition because you were you know this was something you were working in what, what has it been like watching the progression um of you know this industry or if it is an industry yeah it's um it's interesting the and, and actually microsoft ended up being a big player in it i i was nothing i wasn't working in speech recognition when i when i ended up working for microsoft but um yeah it's come a long way i mean i don't personally own an alexa but i mean i won't say nearly everyone does a lot of people have iphones with siri on it um, it's pretty pervasive. So I think the vision has somewhat been realized um, to a large degree. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I would say it's interesting. The progression has been 
maybe a bit slower than was anticipated. I think it's a very hard problem to solve because if you've got things listening in the background, they've got to figure out, are you speaking to me <laughs> or are you just having a conversation with someone else? Sure. And yeah. so, you know, for a, lot, a lot of times my phone will start to do things when I'm just having a conversation with someone, but my phone's nearby and it will start to trigger, you know, and say something to me because I, I think you're looking for this. And it's like, I wasn't doing anything to do with you. So it's still, you know, will it ever be perfect? I don't know. Yeah. But they've solved a lot of the hard problems. The, the, the real question I want to know, Steve, is are they like... Uh, are, are they like listening to us? Like, are the companies like gathering that data when we're not speaking to it? That's what I was always they are. Uh, sketched out about. Yeah. So, and this is an interesting thing because if you work for a large company, um, like, so my wife still works at Microsoft. That's, that's where we met. And um, they're actually not allowed to have one of these devices running in their homes by corporate policy because like, for instance, Amazon is a competitor to Microsoft in a lot of areas, certainly in the cloud. And um, they are, you know, let's say you're, have, you're on a conference call at Microsoft and you're talking yeah. about proprietary stuff mm. and you've got an Alexa device sitting in the background <laughs> capturing oh yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, and okay, there are privacy policies and they say, hey, we only, but, but they are using that data that what they say is they take snippets of it, they'll send it out to be transcribed. And, you know, they, they, it's a bit like shredding a piece of paper in theory. You can't, you can't recreate what the original document was. So they say, but then it's all kind of based on trust, right? They exactly. say that they're not recording this stuff and it could be used in a nefarious thing, but how do you know that? And so it's easier to have a policy where you can't have these things listening in the background. So yeah, I mean, you know, along with along with progress comes some interesting side effects. Yeah, yeah, we we, we could we when we were talking beforehand, um, you know, about some of these philosophical debates or or, or discussions <laughs> we can get into, but that might be uh, beyond the scope of yeah. the podcast. Let's get let's get into some trading, sure, um, stuff. So so you mentioned you you know you had a a chance to work for Goldman Sachs. So you really didn't have any interest in markets early on. What, what eventually led you down this path? Oh, probably reality. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually it was, uh, so yeah, I was ended up working at Microsoft. Um, you know, when I got, I got stock at Microsoft as a, as a regular employee. And, um, most of the time it just sat there and I didn't even know how much I had. And, it was just a, you know, I was younger and it you know, had a good job. I was financially secure at the time. And um, I don't know, I didn't think about it. And then I was working there during the, um, so I'd been through, you know, early nine, uh, sorry, late 90s, early 2000s was the dot-com boom and bust. Not really any interest in trading back then. When 2008, 2009 financial crisis happened, uh, you know, I was a bit more aware of what was going on from, you know, you get older and you start to think about contributing to a 401k and pensions and just, you know, money, right? Um, you're buying a house, money starts to become more of a thing. And I felt, oh, and also there's a bit of a difference in, in, in England versus the US. Um, 
there's more pension schemes you're more taken care of later in life and investment isn't such a thing in england whereas here in the u.s you kind of have to make your own security blanket to a large degree so it, it, it's a bit more top of mind and um basically i was you know thinking i need to i need to do something i need to i need to start making that nest egg or whatever and i uh, back at that time i think i was bombarded by motley fool newsletter type <laughs> things yeah. and you know at one point after the 200th one came into my inbox i thought you know what i kind of know nothing i'll i'll give it a whirl and see what happens and it just as fate would have it the service i signed up for which was mainly a portfolio management thing regular buying stocks which were undervalued or um you know it was fundamentals um they had a sister service which i was i i got free membership to or it was included it wasn't free it was included um was an option service and i thought hey i've heard about options don't know anything about them this might be a good way to learn and um it was pretty basic but the you know i i can think of i can think back on my whole options development as a series of light bulbs going off in my head and the first one was one of the strategies was okay obviously when you're stock trading you can buy and you can sell stocks you know that's how it works um ideally buying low and selling high well in the options world one of the early fairly straightforward trades is you can do something it's called selling a put there's just puts and calls in the option world that's all there are but you can you can buy a put you can sell a put you can buy a call and you can sell a call that's that's it those are the building blocks they were there it i won't say it's not more complicated than that because it gets very complicated but those are the four trades you can do and selling a put what it really means is okay let's say i want to acquire a stock let's say it's I'll just use Netflix as an example. And let's say it's trading at $400 a share. And I think a really good buy price, I would like to own Netflix at 380. So traditionally what you would do is you may put in a good till cancel order to buy the stock at 380. And if it eventually dips down there, you end up buying 100 shares, right? Mm. Um in the stock trading world. Well in the options world what you can do is you can what's called selling a put with a strike price which is just the price level at 380 and the interesting thing is you get paid when you make that bet you actually bring in money right away they will pay you to do that so that was like hang on that's weird so i could either just put in an order if i'm trading the stock to buy it at 380 or i can effectively do the same thing and get paid for doing that regardless and that was like why wouldn't i do this mm-hmm. like there's no down if i if my choice is buy the stock at 380 or buy the stock at 380 and get paid for buying this getting some money in as in addition to buying the stock at 380 it it's like a no brainer mm-hmm. um and so that was like wow this is interesting this is kind of weird and then the opposite is not really the opposite but the uh, when you come to sell a stock the same thing is true through selling what's called a call option so let's say i did buy the stock at 380 and then the stock rallies to 420 
and maybe I, I have an ideal sell price at 425. Well, instead of just putting in a good till cancel order to sell the stock at 425, I could sell a call with a strike price at 425. And guess what? I get paid up front. As soon as I make that trade, I get paid up front to make that trade. And if it gets to 425, I let go of my stock. So not only did I get the profit on that stock, I also got paid on both ends. And the interesting thing is if it, if it doesn't reach either of those levels, I still keep the money that I got paid in the first place. So I get paid if it doesn't really work out, and I get paid more if it does work out. Now, this is a very simple trade, and uh, I'm oversimplifying some things. There are some implications. But in essence, that was what really, once I figured that out, it was like, why would I ever trade stock again? In, in, in isolation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I use options to acquire? If I, even if I just want to end up being a stock trader, I would use options to enter and exit positions because there's no reason not to because I get paid for doing that. Mm -hmm. And so that was like the first major light bulb um, that went off. And then, of course, you can extrapolate it. So what happens is you sell, you know, on the, on the buying of the Netflix side, you sell this, it's trading at at four hundred dollars a share, and you you're really interested in buying at three eighty, but it never gets there. You just keep that what's called yeah. premium. You keep the money, and then you get to do it again, and then you get to do it again. If it never gets down there, so you just keep bringing in this money, even though your order never gets triggered. And so, what you end up then doing is, hang on, this ends up being a fair amount of money because it could be a thousand dollars, by the way. If if I want to. If I want to do that for next week's option, maybe I could bring in $1,000. I could get paid $1,000 right now to buy Netflix at a lower price than it's trading right now. And if it never gets down there, I just keep the $1,000. So what you end up going doing is going, wow, that's $1,000. What about if I do two lots of this? I'll get $2,000. But I don't, I don't really want to buy Netflix anymore. I just want that money. Mm. And so you end up, you know, and this is, this is where it can get dangerous you end up doing the trade just to get that premium and not remembering that if it goes below 380, I'm going to have to, because the way that options work when you do it like that, you have an obligation to buy the stock at 380. If the stock tanks to 350, you still have to buy the stock at 380. Oh, okay. Got it. So you are starting off from a, from a stock perspective at a loss. But I, I, you know, and people think, well, that's stupid. What, you know, you would never want to buy it at, at 380 if it's trading for 350. But you, you have to compare it to the situation where you would have, you were happy to buy it at 380. Exactly. That's the compare, and that's where people get uh, a little bit yeah. lost on, on that. So if, if your choice was, I'm going to just purely buy the stock at 380. I could sell a put and buy it at 380, get paid $1,000 or whatever it is up front. You know, I'm always going to go for that because the alternative just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Now, Steve, would you, would you say that most option traders, they're buying calls and buying puts? Why do, why do you think that is? Is, just, is it just a little more straightforward? Or? Yeah, it's it. Well, you know, I think there's, there's a number of factors here. One is, it's it's more straightforward it's a bit easier to rationalize um 
I think a big reason is from what I just outlined with selling the put to acquire the stock, a lot of people don't have the money to acquire the stock. I mean, that's, and, and by the way, when I acquire the stock, it's a minimum, one, one option controls 100 shares. So if I had to buy Netflix at 380, I would be buying 100 shares at 380. That's not insignificant capital. Mm. And so people, certainly with smaller accounts, I could take a different, if I'm going to buy an option, there are plenty of options I can buy. They're a lot cheaper, very, um, very efficient on capital, by the way, compared to buying the stock. And so my ROI is going to be a lot more than if I just, if I, if I win, then um, my, my ROI is going to be greater if I do it through buying calls than buying the stock. So a lot of people are attracted to that. The problem potentially with that approach is that options by their very construction and their characteristic, they're a depreciating asset. So they depreciate over time. Mm -hmm. And so, which is one of the reasons I'm so glad I learned first that I'm, I want to be on the other side of the trade because I'm effectively trading with the wind at my back. I'm, you know, an option price is at a certain level. I'm selling it and over time it's going to decrease. Now it could move against me. And so obviously that, that could increase if it, go, if it goes against me. But over time, all things being equal, if the stock just stays at the same level, that option is going to get worth less and less and less as each day goes by. And so if I'm short the option, I'm going to make money, a bit like shorting a stock and it just gradually decreasing in value. That's, that's really the theory. And so you know, a lot of people, um, you can buy cheap options. You can therefore lever up. You could put a lot of money into a lot of cheap options. And if you, you know, if you make it, if, if it goes in your direction, you'll make out big time. The problem is it comes back to probability, where the probability in general is against it. If you, if you do it over and over and over kind of blindly, then you'd, you're pretty much going to lose money. I mean, that's just the way, you know, you've got a probability of less than 50%. So if you back to the kind of insurance model, the casino model, that's how casinos operate, right? I go to a casino and I bet on a slot machine. I've got a less than 50-50 chance of winning. So if I do it enough, I'm going to lose money. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. Um, but, you know, in the media, let's talk about GameStop. Let's talk about AMC and all the crazy call buying that's happened over the last couple of years. Um, all the, you know, there are some people who are in the right place at the right time who bought a ton of call options before it went from five bucks to 500 bucks that make out like bandits. But that's always going to happen, and, and, and then it comes down to, well, were they lucky or were they, did they know that was going to happen? Did, were they in the right place at the right time? I suspect there are even more people who lost a lot of money oh. trying to do the same thing. I mean, we all know that. But those aren't the stories that are reported. Yeah. So, you know, because, again, so again back, to, back to probability, everything's a bell curve. Yep. You hear about the people at one end who either blew up spectacularly or made millions and millions from doing this, and everyone wants to make the millions and millions just easy buying cheap call options. But most of the time, it's not going to work out. Um, never works out. I mean, not, I won't say it never works out for me, but it, that, I, 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 it rarely works out for me to do that kind of strategy. It's akin to just buying lottery tickets mm -hmm. to a large degree. It's pretty cheap. There's not much risk. But am I going to win a jackpot? I might. 
And that's, you know, that can be attractive to people. But if you work out the probabilities, you've probably got more chance of being hit on the head by a meteor falling out of the sky, <laughs> which won't be as enjoyable as winning the lottery. But, you know, that, that's the kind of thing. And I think a lot of people don't grasp odds very well. Uh, people don't, you said they don't grasp odds very well. Yeah. No, well, I said grasp because I, I said grasp because I'm British, but yeah, grasp yeah. is. <laughs> Honestly, uh, to jump in, I don't think a lot of people even think like that. Yeah, Much well, grasp probably not. Yeah, I mean, they don't. And it is a certain way of thinking that, I mean, again, I, you know, my background was in probability and I, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm logical. I, I it's, it's funny when I, when I went full time trading and, you know, I, <laughs> I wasn't really equipped, I will say. I, I knew about options. I was making money with options, but I wasn't, say, replacing my salary. I had a pretty good job at Microsoft. I, you know, it would it would take me some time to get anywhere near replacing that. But I remember it was it was kind of a what got me here isn't going to get me there. I had to. I, I'm going to have. Am I going to day trade as well? You know, I, I kind of had to reboot. And so one of the first um, one of the first free webinars I attended was on Fibonacci, and yeah, I'm a I'm a mathematician. Effectively, I heard of Fibonacci and. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. But, you, you know, you've got to bear in mind, I'm an engineer. I, I have this logical thought process. And the webinar started and they were talking about, you know, these certain numbers and you could buy here and sell here and it, it all works. And I, you know, I'm typing away on Zoom or whatever to the moderator saying, so why does this work? Like, what? You know, I know Fibonacci numbers, but why does it work? And they're like, well, these numbers are in nature and they occur. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of things in nature. But why, why does this work? Like, what is what, you know, these, these numbers sound kind of magic to me. Like, what are the mechanics? Why does this work? And they say, well, it just does work, you know, and I could tell they were kind of struggling to answer the question. And eventually I kept pressing and they just, they literally stopped talking to me <laughs> because they didn't have a good answer. And, it, you know, what I needed to hear at that, at that point in time was, <clears throat> excuse me, I needed to hear, look, it, if a lot of people follow the same technique, they follow the same strategy, then it's going to kind of become a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's and where the bid's going to be. Yeah, because that's where everyone's bid. Because that's if everyone's looking at the same, but they didn't. They didn't tell me that, which I. Yeah, because I, they don't know the mechanic. Because they don't know the mechanics behind trading. Right, and so, but that's what as an engineer, as a newbie exactly. trader, as, yeah. you know, I needed to hear if they'd have just said, "Yeah, look, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not really about the numbers. You know, you could, you could, you could say the number was ten. It doesn't have to be the golden ratio <laughs> yeah. or anything. Yeah. If enough people are looking at ten. And no. then they start selling because 10's coming up. They start selling. Then obviously the thing's going to yeah. back away from 10. And that's what I, that's what I wish it, someone had told me, whereas yeah. it just felt like kind of magical thinking at the time. Now, I know better now, but I didn't know better then. And so actually that, you know, I, I'd come from kind of this rudimentary options world, which is in my mind very logical, and I can talk about that in a bit, a bit more. Uh, in a second to something which 
was kind of magical numbers which don't have any basis in logic to me and so that kind of turned me off the day trading or the you know the techniques which are which are used to a large degree and i'm not saying they're wrong or anything like that it was just for me at that time i wasn't receptive to to that and you know i'd also heard that engineers doctors scientists don't do very well trading <laughs> because <laughs> they try and rationalize everything mm-hmm. and you know that was a kind of disappointing you know that was a bit of a am i going to make it in this business because I do need logic. I do need some foundation rather than some magical or what I perceive to be magical theory. And um, I, actually, one of your fairly recent guests, uh, Sergei uh, Perfiliev, um, he mentioned something which really resonated with me, which was, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was like the market, you know, the market's obviously very emotionally driven to, to, to a large degree, um, you've got this big collection of people doing different things. It's not necessarily going to make sense, but options are actually really logical, the way that options behave. Now, the options behavior is based on what the market does, but the, the way that the options then behave is very logical. So I, you know, it's a natural fit for me, and I totally 100% agree with that. Options behavior is very logical what they're based on may act completely erratically and I can't predict the market, but the way that options will then react is logical, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I, it I does. mean, and this, this, you know, like trading or, you know, really any sort of, um, you know, gambling can really mess with your head. Like you need, you need to like ground yourself somewhere. You need to have like a, a base of like, uh, rationality or like a system, you know, et cetera. Um, so Steve, um, how, I know, I know you said where, uh, your, I know you're more, uh, apt for selling calls, um, selling puts, uh, you're a bit of a, maybe more of a contrarian like myself. Um, maybe just kind of just go over, maybe I know it might be hard, but your general uh, methodology, um, mm-hmm. of trading. Yeah. And it, it's really, it changes. Um, it does morph. And, and part of the morphing is, you know, you learn new techniques. Um, I trade, I've traded very differently from when I started. The starting was the selling puts, selling calls, those light bulbs going off, because it just made, like, why wouldn't I do this? It's free money almost. Um, and then it morphed. Actually, there was, a, there was someone I... <laughs> I came across quite early on. Uh, she she was called Karen the Super Trader, and she made some headlines um, by doing something similar. She was and she was pretty big size trading, and she made a ton of money, like millions, from doing that kind of thing. Oh, was that on Tasty Trade? It was, and I don't know if you heard exactly. What, yeah. yeah. So, so well, let's she, let's. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you finish. Yeah. um, It's a tricky one. Um, I will say (laughs) that she had a very sound strategy. The strategy makes perfect sense. I would say she was taking a lot of risk. And there is something in options. When they go wrong, when it moves against you, the way you defend, and then this is something I also like about options, by the way, you can defend your trades. Like it starts to move against you. You can adjust the position. Oh, cool. And so 
It's not. I mean, you can choose to say, oh, it's moved against me. I'm out for a loss. But in theory, I, w- I won't say necessarily all the time in practice. In theory, I hesitate to say this, but theoretically, you never really have to take a loss. You can keep ro- you, you can you can you can take the loss short term. So you sell a you sell an option. It moves against you. You buy it back for a loss. It's like you sold a, you sold low and you bought high, which is obviously not what you would do. But then you can immediately turn around, go out further in time, and sell it again, and you'll bring in more money. Oh. And then if it moves against you more, you can go out further in time and bring in more money. And so you can effectively do, if you've got a large enough account, you can do this forever until the thing isn't moving against you and rebounds, and then it all expires worth. So effectively, you ended up having sold up here, and it expired for nothing, and therefore you made the, you made the difference. Easy game. Easy game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds, a, a, you know, when you're in it, it's not as pleasant, but you can technically do that. Anyway, she was, she was trading a lot of money, and so when the market moved against her, her losses, and I'll, you know, the, I'll call them interim losses, because what she would do, she would do the same thing, and she would buy back these now expensive things for a big loss, go out one two months or whatever, sell, bring in more income to easily cover that loss, and then hope that the market then recover or does the opposite to whatever it did to cause other loss, which it ultimately would, and that's how she made a lot of money. So the the strategy was sound. The problem was, I think, and this is just me with my conjecture, is um, because she was successful, she took a lot of outside money. She had a couple of funds going. And when you start to do that, you have to start to obviously comply with the SEC. Um, and now you have, so when you take that initial loss, when it moves against you, how do you, re- you, you probably need to report that. As an individual trader, you don't, ne- you don't have to do that necessarily. But what, you're now under a different set of accounting rules. Exactly. And so, and I, I'm sure a lot of people, because she was doing so well, um, just gave her money, and it was like, I don't understand your strategy, but you know, apparently, I could make a lot of money by giving it to you. So they probably, <laughs> they, I'm, I'm sure they weren't into the exact mechanics of the strategy, and so you will go through periods of fairly heavy drawdown, but it will, you know, as long as you, as long as you're not betting too big. You can recover that over time. So, so it's it's really about making sure you're you're you have enough bullets. Essentially, you have you have to really when you trade the way that I do and and the way that she did, you do have to have a bit. You have to understand risk. Yeah, you that really do. It's always job number one. Yeah, always. Um, and she and I think she did. I mean, she had a good strategy. It's just. When now she's reporting probably these massive losses or should have been reporting these massive losses. But it's kind of now we're in this gray area of, well, if I take this loss, but now I sell these further dated options to bring back that loss, like I'm now, you know, I pay yeah. this money out, but now I'm bringing this money back in. Technically, yeah. I think you're probably supposed to report it as a loss. She may have done some, I don't know the details. It sounds like she did some massaging. Tricky. Tricky accounting to massaging, yeah, I mean, you know, financial engineering to to 
cover this up. And I think some of the investors who didn't understand her strategy suddenly see, wow, we're losing all the, I, I want to, you know, and, there, and then is not the time to withdraw the money because if they just are patient, they're going to get exactly. it back and then some. And so I think the whole thing became unraveled and she got a bad rap. And all the naysayers, of, and there's a lot of people who disagree with this style of trading. They all came out of the woodwork and were like, see, we told you it was a terrible way to trade, et cetera, et cetera. And so I... Well, let's see. Yeah, what, what is, what, what would the people who argue against, who say this is a bad style, like what's, what are the... Um, it, it's yeah, the what, what are the counter arguments? Yeah. It's, it's, it's because it's, it's back to that whole... When you sell options, you, I won't, well, if you sell calls, you can have unlimited risk. And people don't like to have unlimited risk. It's probably not technically unlimited. It's only unlimited if the stock that you're, let's say you're shorting a stock. You also have unlimited risk. The stock could go to infinity and you, therefore you, you have unlimited risk. That's the equivalent. Yeah, it's not. But you know, we know that's not going to happen. It could double. It could really hurt you, but it's not unlimited. Unlimited in the in the truest sense of the word. But you do <laughs> have to watch that. You have to have strategies in place. If it's if I'm starting to get hurt, what do I do? Exactly. Um, and that can happen on both sides. And I would say most of the criticism comes down to people don't put risk first. And it can be dangerous. I mean, I remember I was trading that strategy back in 2014, 2013. I didn't understand my risk. I mean, I'll be honest, because it's easy money. You know, I'm making money every day. It doesn't really matter what the market does within reason. It's grinding up. You're just bringing in money day after day after day. And that's dangerous because you start to get very complacent. And that's when you start to, well, if I can make $2,000 a day, I could just double it and make $4,000 a day. Then you do it and that's what happens. And you're like, okay, I could make 5,000, you know? Yeah. And that's the danger. And that's what a lot of people get caught up in. I, I lost, um, I remember one day the market had a slight dip and I was down 40 grand and I was like, what is going on? I, ne you know, that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. And that was a wake up call. I was like, I do not want to, you know, the next day I was up 24 and it was like, I don't like this volatility of returns. I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. So then I had to change my strategy into, okay, I like the notion of it, but that's just too, I'm either trading too big. I'm, it, it's not the right strategy to me. It's too volatile for me. And so then I changed it to do, and you can do the same trade much safer, of course, the risk's less, so the reward's less. But you can you can do things that are similar. Did that for a while. Um, and, you know, nowadays, I, I trade a, a reasonably sized account. The other thing is, you know, we all know that the industry is kind of stacked against you. If you, if you trade a certain kind of account, you actually get um, something called risk-based margin. That's actually very similar to the way that margin works on futures. The, the span margin, which I'm sure you are very familiar with, um, JJ. But um, you don't actually have to put up much money to trade. They, they do it. It's actually a much more realistic way of analyzing risk from a brokerage standpoint. Um, they assume that instead of going to zero, which is 
how normally you know you buy a stock mm -hmm. you have to put up enough money generally for to account for the stock going to zero <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what you pay you know you yeah. pay ten thousand dollars you get ten thousand dollars of stock if it goes to zero bad bad luck kind of thing yeah. um with options you can actually lose way more than that ten thousand but what the brokerages do is they stress test your positions down by like a certain percent, and that's the amount of money you have to put up. And you can completely manipulate that by doing certain options trades. So eventually, as I got more and more advanced, that's how I started to trade um, because I learned to manipulate my my <laughs> curve. So I can actually hold a fairly large position for not much money. Nice. Um, and I can be the way I tend to trade. My kind of default, if you if you were I'm not going to explain the exact trade, but my default position is I'm generally short the market slightly because you can, you can, the other weird thing, which non-options people, it, it, it's tough to grasp is you can, you can swing how directionally short or long you are to, it's a bit like buying one share, two share, three shares, four oh, shares okay, of yeah. stock. Yeah, your cost basis. Yeah. And, and it's, um, and, and I can, you know, <laughs> Most of the time, I'm, I'm kind of neutral. In other words, I won't make money on the stock moving up or down. I make money from the options decaying. Right. I don't want any directional risk because I don't know what the market's going to do. So I, I stay neutral, and just as time passes, I make money because the options decay, and that's fundamentally how I make money. And it's, it's a bit complicated, but I like to be slightly short the market. Um, and then have a lot of tail risk protection in case of a crash. Yeah, no, it's incredible. It's incredible. What you've been, you've been, uh, you've been essentially what short the market for what since like 2014. Well, yeah, and I made, mean, and you've and, made money. Yeah, I mean that. It's a bit. It's definitely oversimplifying it, but fundamentally, yeah. I'm nearly always short the market, and when the market actually moves up, like yesterday, we had a Fed minutes release, and you know, I was slightly short the market. And then the market took off after that. And my positions gained in profit, even though they were short. And it's to do with something called implied volatility in options. Uh, uh, you know, I don't necessarily want to get into it, but I, in addition to holding a short directional position, I'm short volatility. So when, uh, the, when the fear goes away, I make money from that aspect of it. I lose don't. a bit of money on my direction, but I make more money on the fear dropping. Oh, beautiful. And it's a, and the way I would actually explain it is, and any options trader, whether they're doing what I'm doing or they're doing the opposite, they're actually really trading what's called implied volatility to, to a large degree. So my net position, the way I look at it, it's not really I net short the market and that's my stance yeah. and it's not that I'm expecting a catastrophe and that's why I'm short. It's I net short fear, which is yeah. implied volatility. But when fear spikes, like there's going to be a war or there's going to be interest rate rises or whatever, that hurts me. Normally, the market goes down. The way I hedge yeah. my, my my short fear is by be buying is be um, is by being short the market. Got it. If that makes sense. No, it does. That's great. That's almost you know like when large traders they you know they'll they'll have one position and trade around it sort of thing. Yeah, and it's this, exactly this the same thing. Yeah. With options, you can you totally trade yeah. around everything. I mean, you could That's buy beautiful. stock and then totally trade around that stock position. Yeah. Um, if you if you've got a um, you've got a stock that you're losing money on, 
you can actually use some options position option strategies which will re- what I, it's called a stock repair it will get you back to break even even nice. if the stock doesn't cooperate nice i mean it's just it's it's like a chess game versus like checkers to a large degree Steve, Steve I, uh, I just I just thought would have probably would have been a better title for uh, the, the Vegas presentation. Uh, don't don't lose a trade ever with with Steve Hedge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that'll get the audience coming. People are like what? <laughs> that, that would get the SEC's attention as well, I'm sure. Oh, don't lose a trade ever. So so Steve, I know. Um, uh, no, no, but but in all seriousness, um, I I have trained with this guy Steve. Um, it, it's it's some serious business. I'm still getting my head wrapped around, um, all of it. Uh, pay attention to this man. Take a look at the course. It's uh, it's, it's real good. So Steve, um, speaking of courses, I've known you've taken um, you know, a bunch throughout your time mm-hmm. learning options. Uh, how do you think what what how you present options is a little bit different than what you've encountered on the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there for sure. Um, and there's a lot of bad stuff out there. Um, that's, there's, you know, it's, it's as you would expect, it runs the gamut. Um, I mean, I really designed the course on all the stuff I wish I'd known when I started trading. Um, because I learned very piecemeal, which is how probably most people organically learn. I did pay a lot for a lot of courses and some were good and some were I won't say I ever took anything that was absolutely terrible, but certainly it wasn't billed as, you know, I paid a bunch of money and what I got was either stuff I'd heard before or it was completely positioned as a different thing. And what I really focus on in this course is um, how options behave. It's whether you, I'm not, I'm not really, um, the aim of the course is not to have people trade the way that I trade Um, because everyone's psychology is different. What I find comfortable, and by the way, I mean, you know, you know, like today I've got, I've got some trades on the market. I'm very neutral. The S and P 500, it was down, whatever it was down today. You know, my drawdown was minuscule today. I'm fine with it because I make money most days. Um, I don't really have to monitor my trades for the way I trade. Sometimes, and sometimes I totally do. Sometimes I'll have to stay up all night babysitting them. Mm. But I found a method that um, works for my psychology. And that's going to be different for everyone. So I'm not a fan of teaching people, hey, this is how I trade. This is how you should trade. Who am I to say that? Because everyone's different. So whether you trade how I trade, want to trade how I trade, trade the exact opposite way, it doesn't really matter. What's really important is you've got to understand how options behave, um, yeah. because they, can, you know, the back to the risk management. You can really get hurt if you do not understand. You can. It could also be death by a thousand cuts, where you just lose money, small amounts of money, lose, 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 lose. I'd rather my psychology is I'd rather have more winners. I'd rather have a ninety percent win rate and deal with the losing situations in that same way, whether I'm rolling options out to recover my losses or whatever. But most of the days I'm winning because that makes me happy. <laughs> I want to be happy. I, I want to feel like a winner. I don't want to feel like a loser who every now and then wins big. That doesn't fit my psychology. But there's plenty of people that do. But again, regardless, it doesn't matter. You've got to understand what you're dealing with and, and, and how that's going to play out. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I like to think of those people are kind of like the, like sickos, man. Like, because it, it, it reminds you, it reminds me of poker. Like when we were going through the course, like I like I played cash games, and like that's a more consistent. Like, it's like you get a bigger sample size of hands in your skill edge is going to show up over the long run. Where the people who like play tournaments is like you're so subject to variance, you're going to lose a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. But when you win, you win big, right? And that's just not. Um, I, I'm similar to you. I, I need like just the. I prefer more steady. Uh, like yeah. okay, like it, it builds up. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not. You're going to go from zero to. I mean, so, again, back to the whole bell curve thing. Yeah, some people are going to go from zero to hero in one trade. But you know, I always think it's the worst thing when a new options trader puts on their first trade and just wins because <laughs> yeah, they get a false sense of well, that was the I didn't you know I put this thing on, and it was a breeze and I made this amount of money and then that's. That's where it starts to get a bit dangerous. And, um, you know, unfortunately, when you're selling options, you win way more than you lose in terms of number of occurrences. Doesn't yeah. mean the dollar amounts you, you know, because when you get hurt, you can wipe out all your gains from one loss because that's the way the probability works. Yeah. Um, but then it's about money management, risk control and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on stuff. I mean, and I still, you know, there'll be a trick. It will be, you know, I might pay $5,000 for one course to learn one trade. And that, that training is like two hours long. And, but I know, you know, I know enough nowadays whether, oh, I could make probably 20K off of that just doing one of those trades. So it's the ROI is there for me to pay that money. But when you're starting, you, you have no clue about that. But yeah, yeah. I probably pay, I mean, I don't know what I've spent over the years, but, you know, 50,000, I don't know. Um, it's an expensive business to, but you, it's important to, to learn it the right way is, is what I would say. Um, because it's probably going to save you a lot of money in the, in the, long, in the run. long run. I often think about it. Um, I think stock trading is pretty simple to get started at because stocks either move up, they move down or they kind of chop around. Um, it's very linear options is more like a 3d, You've got a lot of different, like the implied volatility that I mentioned is one variable. You've got time. It's a depreciating asset. And it's also based on the underlying stock movement. You've got a lot of, it's a bit like whack-a-mole to some degree. Um, and, you know, maybe it's like medical school. You don't, you don't just do a few weeks of training and then dive into brain surgery. Um, well, <laughs> I, 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 I hope. That's what I, I always say. That's I what I always say. Yeah, I mean, I hope that people don't. Um, and I, I would say learning options has a, has a steeper learning curve at the beginning because you have, it's a, it's a whole new language with strike prices and option decay and, you know, all of this, it has its own language, which, which can be intimidating. So I, obviously I spend a lot of time on that. A lot of these concepts that we've talked about with option decay and, you know, all this craziness of. I mean, I love the fact with options, I'm wrong most of the time. I'm directionally wrong. most. Uh, if I'm short the market, I'm obviously directionally wrong for the last X years, but I still make money, and that confounds people. Like, how, how does that work? So you spend a lot of time on those concepts because they're obviously really important. You know, I might be wrong 80% of the time on my trades. doesn't matter as long as I'm making money. I don't, I don't care about being wrong if I'm making money. I don't like it when I'm right and lose money. That's worse for me. Um, but you have to spend the time to understand the concept because then once you fully understand the concepts, I feel, which is why I like trading options now, 
your trading life, I don't have to stay glued. You know, I can put on trades that will make money if the market goes up. They'll make money if the market, you know, just one trade can have multiple behaviors. It's not just I'm short stock and I win in one direction, I lose in the other. I can win in whatever happens in some trades. Um, or I could lose whatever, you know, you can define your own trade profile, if you will. Yeah. And that takes time to develop. But once you've developed it, you don't have to stare at screens all day if you don't want to. Um, and you still can. You still can day trade options if you want. If you want that adrenaline rush, you can. But I will hope as I'm nearly always in something. It's, I, I can't remember the last time I, I had no positions on, like 24 hours a day. And, it, and yet I sleep, I mean, I sleep perfectly at night because I know if the market crashes, in fact, if the market crashes, that's not what I intend to happen. That's not what I want to happen. But I'll make out like a bandit because I've got so much tail risk protection. My biggest ever success, I was long the market. And you may remember, I, I think it was affectionately termed Volmageddon. It was, it's in my mind, I think it was February 5th, 2018. And um, there was a massive shock to the market, and um, I was I was positioned long, but I I had a lot of tail risk protection, so I was completely wrong. But I made the most amount of money I've ever made in one day, just because my tail risk protection kicked in, all my hedging, and I, I was happy with that. But I was I was hundred percent wrong. All right, Steve. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit, you know, not to get too. Um, in depth um no i guess i guess just to to, to speak to the point i i, I really like how um uh you know because a lot of you know uh people just like hey trade this way trade that way i i think like leaving it up to the person but like you said like teaching the, the mechanics of it was nice but i do i do remember thinking and i probably said it to him jj i was like yo just show just tell me how to fucking short like yeah. options <laughs> just, i want <laughs> I, I want to short these these shits. Just tell me how to do it. But do no, it, no, yeah. no. It's and I'm it, happy it, to do. You know, if you want to do that, I'll, I'm happy to tell you how to do it. I just yeah. what's more important to me is you understand the pros and the cons of doing that through options. Absolutely. I, if you're wrong, it's going to be different. Your your behavior will be different if you're wrong than maybe just shorting stock and getting out from a lot. You know, you've got a lot of <laughs> options. That you could do again you could kind of roll that out into the future or whatever but yeah i mean i'm happy if people want to trade a certain way i'm more than happy to explain how i would go about trading that certain way i just don't want people to come in fresh yeah. and i no, say you sure. need to trade in a certain way no no, no you do it the right way yeah no no i think and i i think it's um uh for sure the right way um it's funny i was thinking another thing too um so don't ever lose a trade with steve hedge <laughs> <laughs> and and don't ever you don't have to leave the bed and, and trade and this, 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 this guy's notorious for trading from his bed i mean well, he does he, yeah. this guy's teaching options i mean can you believe it this is insane <laughs> exactly this takes pajama trader one <laughs> we're next level you, you don't even have to tell you could be naked in bed trading there you go How's that? well you know often i am but um <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, I, the you know, I'm not wearing any pants right now, right? But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean it's it's true. There's a there's something called the Greeks in options. Um, it's think of it like um, you're flying a plane, and you could 
you know, maybe you're flying an old plane, doesn't, you know, the instrument panel's pretty rudimentary. You can maybe see your altitude, but that's kind of it. Most of the time, you're looking out the window, you're going to, you know, you're navigating by sight. That's, you know, you see the runway, you're going to land the plane. You're not really relying on instruments like in the olden days, um, like when I started in speech recognition, those kinds of olden days. But um, then technology came along and, you know, you, it could be 100% foggy. The pilot can't see anything. And the plane kind of flies itself, takes off itself to a large degree, lands itself, and they're 100% reliant on a few numbers on their instrument, instrument panel. And the Greeks in, in options trading, is, it's not the perfect analogy, but it's kind of like that. In other words, I, I, don't, I have four screens for when I'm trading, but I can be in bed on my phone just looking at my account, and I use effectively probably two or three num just literally numbers and i know exactly how all my positions like if if the market is doing x i know how my trade is going to behave i know what my p and l is probably likely to be plus or minus something so if the market's going to be down a percent i pretty much know what my p and l is going to be or if it's up a percent or if it's doing nothing and so i can just look at my phone and i know if it, if it's doing a certain thing, I do need to adjust the trade. I can do that on my phone and it will change these, these Greeks numbers. And now instead of looking at all my charts or any of that stuff, I don't have to do that. I just look at these numbers and I can, that's how I can monitor my trade. I'm not saying I would initiate a new trade on my phone. I would adjust trades on my phone um, very easily. But yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't want to say I just stay in bed all day and that's how I, you know, I'm on my phone and <laughs> trading. That's, that's not the norm, mostly. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but I love that my wife's not as happy about that style of trading for me. But because um, she has to get up and, you know, do a proper job. But, um, but uh, you know, the, the fact that I can, I mean, and it, you know, in, in seriousness, it means I can go to Vegas and I can, I'll have positions on while we're in Vegas, mm. while we're presenting, I'll have trades on and the market could be crashing and I'm okay with it because I know what my profile is on my options and that it will be fine. Yeah. So there's, I, I just find it um, comforting may not be the right word, but I, I find it very I found, a, 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 for me, a very relaxing way to trade, even when things get crazy, assuming, that, my, assuming my size is in check and my risk management yeah. is in check. That's, that's really, really good to hear because, like, the way I was trained, like, I started in the business in 92, and you don't leave your terminal when right. you have an active trade on. There's just, there is no way in hell you leave. So I still have that in me. Like, I, I don't hold positions overnight. Right. Heck, I, I have I have trouble holding on stock when it's given to me for free. Yeah. Let alone, I mean, Jesus, if I had to pay for it, no way. But no, it's so to hear that you can actually get a good night's sleep. Yeah. With a position on, and I could have large. I could have large positions on. That that's significant. Yeah, and because you know, you know, for for options, because a lot of my strategy is is time decay. I need yeah. I need to be in the trade for that. Yeah time to bleed work. out see it right this right this is beyond ray but when you get up to our age you know the old ticker <laughs> you know it's not exactly like we're marathon runners I, you and me you know i, you I know, see, so 
I see all the I see all the day trading that happens in the room. Yeah. I, I mean, I just don't. I just I I'm not sure I could do it. I I just don't know. Yeah, I know you often talk about wow. There's no way you could hold. You 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 can't take necessarily the stress of holding positions no. over, overnight. No, and no. I'm I'm uh, I'm at there. I don't think I could day trade. Yeah, it's ex- I, it's interesting. It, yeah. Oh, and the other and the other thing that's a bit related to that is, and again, it's just the way of uh, way options work. You can have two different people: person A, person B. Person A can have a bullish position in options on a stock. Mm-hmm. Person B can have a bearish position on the same stock. Different positions. It's not like B's no. is the exact opposite trade of A's, yeah. but you know, one's yeah, a bullish position, yeah. one's a different Fair. bearish position. They could yeah. both make money. That's amazing. Just from the way the options work. And again, that back to the course, that's the beauty of options that I like to teach because it's amazing to me that that happens. That is. So, so you don't even have to, you don't really even need to look at a chart, do you? I do look at charts and, 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 the, and the reason I look at charts is more to see what the recent range was. In okay. other words, if I'm going to put on a trade, now, I don't have, technically, I could trade fully without charts. I choose not to just because I do want to see what the recent range was, but I don't need a lot of indicators. I don't need a lot of fanciness. Um, I, it's, it's more about, what well, again, what's really important um, for me, the metric is something called implied volatility. How much fear is out there? Because fear is opportunity. Mm. Because I'm in the, I, you know, the, the best analogy is generally the insurance industry. Um, I want to act as the insurance industry. And what happens is when the market crashes, it's, it's effectively like people's houses are burning down. That's the time you want to be selling them homeowners insurance because you can charge a lot for it if the house is already burned down or half burnt down. Right. Exactly. You charge them a lot of premium. And by the way, the term is the same. It's premium. And so I'm going to be in the insurance company bringing in premiums from and this is where you, you know, back to probability, you have to have a high or ideally you want a high number of occurrences. Yeah. So you bring in premium, premium, premium. And it can be small amounts, which is also why people don't like to do it, because they think the amounts are too small. But what they don't what they don't put together is you've got a very high probability of keeping that premium. So a lot of premium is coming in and you can adjust. I mean, you could take more risk and bring in more premium. You can define, I mean, that's the other thing I love. You get to pick that. How close to the fire do you want to be? Because you can be, if you want the adrenaline rust, you could bring in a lot of money, but be kind of more, I'll say risky, but more likely to for it to go against you or you can be far away i love trading amazon because i can be two three hundred points away from amazon and pull in quite a lot of money and it's never going to get down there or up there or whatever and so that's where you can just i'm just bringing in premium like an insurance company um you want to be a bit more diversified on you know a number of different stocks or indices i mean i I just love trading spx which is the you know it's it's um it's effectively ES or SPY. It's, it's from a notional standpoint, it's 2X an ES contract. Because um, it doesn't have earnings. It doesn't, I mean, a big move in ES, as you know, is 
you know, 2%, 3% in when it, you know, limit down 5% overnight or whatever. But most of the time it's, you know, probably less than a percent it, it moves. And so if I'm playing both extremes and I'm bringing in money from both extremes, most of the time I'm going to just keep that money and keep that money and keep that money like the insurance company, yeah. you know, and when it moves outside of that range, that's like, oh, a house, you know, someone took out a premium and the house burned down. I have to now pay out. Yeah. And so it's then becomes, it's all boiled down to a math problem. How do I bring in enough premium so that if I have to pay out a claim, I can afford to pay out a claim. Got it. But it's a bit different oh, in the, okay. bit different in the options industry because I, back to what I talked about with the Karen, the super trader thing, you can roll out. Okay. I pay out that claim. I have to pay out that claim, but now I can effectively almost roll out that claim and bring in more money and do some things to bring that money back to me. Um, you've got, you've got a lot of versatility and again, that adds to the complexity, but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's a beautiful thing once, once the light bulbs, and, and that's why I also like teaching it because I remember those light bulbs that went mm -hmm. off for me. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you get the same thing, JJ. Exactly. It's, exactly. It, it reinforces. Yeah. And it's yeah. wonderful when people suddenly, aha. Exactly. Right. And it, it makes you a better trader when, yeah, when you're talking about it with other people, I find that it, it just, it helps reinforce, you know, that's why I always say I, I I'm like, I'm an internal student of the market oh, because, yeah. You know, because it'll—it's amazing how someone who doesn't really know anything sometimes, sometimes they'll come in and they'll see something, and they'll say it in a way that makes something click in your head too. Right. It's really weird how that happens. Yeah. Right? So being open-minded to that uh, is really, really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Know. Yeah. I'm not a genius. I'm I'm just an average. I'm just an average guy. I I I make mistakes. I mean, I've, yeah, I've the had guy some... the guy who went to Cambridge. Yeah, well, okay. all right. Sure, but you know, uh, it it yeah, I all that really yeah, I know math and stuff like that. But you don't you don't you can make options as comp. I mean, it, there is some oh, crazy yeah. mathematical theories which even oh, I don't understand. I, I mean, I and I don't care to, and you don't have to. And that's the other thing. You just have to understand some of the higher level concepts. You don't have to derive the Black Scholes. Theorem. I was just going to say, you don't have to be able to derive Black Scholes. No. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to understand, you know, it's helpful yeah. to know, okay, there is this theory. It's rooted in mathematical probability stuff. Yeah. But all the, all the brokerage software does it for you. That, that pops out. I mean, you can literally look in an options chain in the software. It tells you the probability that a stock will reach a certain level in a certain time frame. Oh, cool. I mean... That's you don't have to calculate probability. Yeah, you can just go. Okay, I've got a seventy percent chance of making that money, and this is this is where it comes back to humans don't get that. Seventy percent often translates to I can't lose. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. You've got a thirty percent chance of losing. That's actually quite high. <laughs> yeah, very. That's very high. I, you know, that's um. Yeah. One in three, I, one in three trades. That's very high. Lose. No, that that's very high. I mean, like I, I didn't, like I had to learn, you know, I think it's one thing understanding probabilities like intellectually. And then it's another thing, like really understanding it like viscerally. And like, I, I had to learn the hard way, like through poker, like I, you know, you take so many chances where you're like 98% favorite and losing. Uh, exactly. You learn that it's like not zero, like 2% chance is not zero. 
Exactly. It's it's two percent, and like the, these things that happen more frequently than I think we can comprehend. I mean, and there's so many studies and books like around this, but it is it's still fascinating to me this day, like how we just can't really grasp it that well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and if you've got a one percent chance of being wiped out financially, that you know, how do you think about that? is an interesting different people are going to think about that very differently but the main problem is people can't rationalize if they do that same trade a hundred times they're probably going to get wiped out True. yeah yeah well it, and, I, and i forget that i forget the, th- the theory the theorem steve but it, it goes that like if you like you're eventually bound to go bust if you don't have an unlimited bankroll yeah. It, 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 and, you know, I, it's more of like a gambling uh, like theory, and I don't know the specifics to it, but I, I remember reading over it. And it's, it's you know, that's why we have risk parameters. That's why even like casinos have like max bet limits and it's exactly. to protect themselves, not not you, uh, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I always thought, oh, it's a 10, you know, $50 limit table. That's also, you know, yeah, I don't want to. God, they're so kind. They don't want you to blow up. They don't want you to risk too much. Man. And then, of course, you eventually learn, oh, no, 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 it's their risk management. They don't want people mm. to with deep pockets to just bet the farm and wipe them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it's 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 interesting that the whole um, probabilities, obviously, we talked four or five hours or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, you, you did. You told me, um, you know, get, get it into some like miscellaneous stuff and then we'll, yeah. we'll wrap this up. Um, I remember that night we, so we were talking and, um, you, uh, you spoke to me about a time you might've made a, uh, an expensive misclick, uh, well, trading. Yeah. Um, you know, again, back to, I'm just a, I'm just a guy who trades. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and this was a few years ago. Um, and you know i dabbled in futures and um there was a guy i was following he had this specific trade and it was it was an overnight trade i mean it was everything you would hate jj but it was <laughs> it was on gold and oh, um wow. you would you know if the conditions were right you would put this trade on and obviously you can go as big or small as you want but for me it was one contract and um you know you have it you have a stop and your profit target so it's you know, bracket order effectively. And what will happen will happen overnight, but it's risk limited. And at that time, um, the brokerage software I was using, I'd noticed there was some, let's say discrepancies sometimes. It was set up that when I would do a stock trade, it would, you know, I had all my defaults set up that it would default to 100 shares. When I did options, it would default to one. And when when I was going to do a futures trade, it would default to uh, one lot. You know, that was what I did. But options are, are, are in, um, when, you're, when you're dealing with option and stock, it's set to 100. You know, I, I always want 100 blocks of, of stock shares because then I'm going to do some options plays on it. I, I want it to be a round lot. And what I found was a few weeks before this particular event that every now and then when I would do a futures thing, it would default to 100. 100 lot of futures when it, when I wanted it to default to one, but I would catch it, whatever. Anyway, there was this one fateful evening and it was literally at midnight my time. And, um, I put on this gold trade and, you know, I 
it would default normally to one lot and I wasn't looking, I will admit. And so I put this trade on and then, you know, I was messing about doing something else, went to the bathroom, came back and I saw the gold market was just going nuts. It was just, you know, it was in that, you know, like when ES crashes and the, the numbers are moving everywhere and it's just out of control. <laughs> and I just look across and I see my P&L and I'm down 36 grand on a, on, a, on a one lot. And I'm like, what is going on? And I look across and I realize I don't have a one lot. I have a hundred lot of gold futures that I shorted. And, you know, now it's like that slow, like, I, I, okay, it's a mis it's clearly a mis like, it's the broke, something's wrong. I'm not down. Like that, why is there a, like, it's all a slow motion, you know, deer in headlights. What, what do I, is this real? Do I, what do I do? And the market's just going nuts. The algos are just going nuts. And every second that goes past, I'm like losing 10 grand, up five grand, down 10, like it's horrible. And I just kind of hit the, um, hit the kind of just get out, which of course does it at market prices. So there's, there's me just flooding the market with buy orders, just buying back these short gold futures at, at crazy, crazy worse, you know, I'm getting out at progressively worse prices. And, you know, literally this whole thing took about five minutes to unfold and I ended down 56 grand in like three minutes. Wow. How, uh, and yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it's like I'm sitting there for five minutes staring at it going. <laughs> what? Uh, it, it, kind of like I, shock, like, like. Yeah. And it, it, it was. And so, you know, I. I, I guess I need to get on the phone to the brokerage and, you know, they're all East Coast based. It's midnight my time. It's 3 a.m. their time. I'm chatting online with someone who, um, you know, that I was like, do I go to bed? You know, what am I going to tell my wife? I just yeah. lost 56K in three minutes. Good one. Um, and, I, you know, I, I'm making a little bit light of it now. I mean, it still haunts me. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, it was just this unreal moment. And, um, you know, about I just stayed up all night waiting for someone to call me back because seriously, I was pissed because I it was the brokerage, you know, I it, it should have defaulted to a one lot and it did a hundred lot. Now it's my fault because I didn't see that it did a hundred lot. Anyway, eventually someone called me back and, you know, in their in their great bedside manner, it was like, oh, yeah, this <laughs> happens all the time to people. And it's like, you know, people, <laughs> trade, trade, traders, you know, I see it all the time. People wipe out and this and that, which is not really what I wanted to hear at that. That was not exactly. the bedside manner that I, that I wanted. Exactly. Um, he was all very blasé and matter of, which makes sense. He probably does deal with that all the time where people just blow up and stuff, but that didn't make me feel any better. And so yeah. that, that made me a bit irate and I was blaming them for their software and, um, Anyway, I couldn't prove anything and they couldn't prove anything. And I knew deep down I had to probably suck it up. And that was just the way it was, whether it was, whether it was truly my mistake, whether it was their mistake, I, I, I couldn't do anything. You know, and I couldn't trade for about a month. Yeah. And when I you mean, sign I, those brokerage forms, 
you know, they, they do have about three pages exactly. of plot that you literally need a magnifying glass to read. Yeah. And basically, because I mean, I worked in the industry. Um, we don't take hits, right? We're, right. you know, it's, it, you know, it's just like, you know, the, basically it says you sign up for this. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, we'll try, but you know, if we slip you and you lose a little bit, you know, you got tough, tough luck, yeah. right? You know. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it could have gone the other way, right? Yeah. I could have made exactly. 50 grand and exactly. then called myself an excellent trader. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I that was a that was a I'll say it was a turning point. I was devastated. I Oh, yeah. I um I could not trade. I stopped for a month and that was tough to recover from, but well, you know, not well, just financially, but I mean, you know, and I remember I, I stayed up that night dealt with the brokerage which was no comfort to me and you know my wife got up and she was like why didn't you come to bed and i'm like um <laughs> see funny thing <laughs> and you know complete credit to her she hugged me and was like hey right, you know it'll be fine and this and that and I, I, wow yeah i mean hey um one in a million but um definitely i after a month passes and you're not trading and it's like, well, what are you going to let this defeat you? Are you going to, so, you know, oh, yeah. is not trading going to be the solution? Oh, exactly. Yeah. So you get back on the horse and you do start small and you, I didn't, I have never traded gold again. Um, yeah. But I, I went I back to my core strategies that work and grind it out and grind it out and you get your confidence back and, you move on because what what are you going to do? Exactly. Exactly. It's funny that you say this because the reason I haven't traded options is once in 1998 on the trade desk, my idiot partner, right? Let one of our clients buy 70 grand worth of options in an account with no money in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And my partner was the options principal of the firm. And wow. of course he doesn't show up for work the next day. Right. <laughs> So I walk into the office. My boss is literally standing on my desk screaming at me, yeah. right? And that was before we had software, right? <laughs> so I'm trading I'm trading with Knight Trimark on the phone, right? And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I said, you know what? Goddess of order flow, if this works out and I just lose five grand, because, you know, brokerage firms don't pay customer losses. Right. You pay. The broker pays. Right. So I'm like, you know, if I lose less than five grand, I'll never touch this stuff again. Yeah. Right. And I got out flat. Right. Wow. I, and it was just just luck. And the guys at night, Trimark, uh, you know, that got bought by virtue. They they really helped me trade out of that position. My market. Yeah. Makers. Uh, they got me on the options desk and they got me out of it. But Jesus, it was, you know, and, and that's why I haven't now I'm just venturing back into it, you know, because you're you know, we have you in the room now and I'm like, OK, all right. You know, it's been. 30 years almost I can you know yeah, <laughs> I'll, well, I'll look at this again again know? it yeah it's about you know I would never <laughs> I, I mean I, it's not that I don't buy options they're, they're, it's just you've got to understand when to buy exactly options when exactly. to sell options yeah and 70 I mean I don't know if that was a big trade I mean it's a big you know I would never ever go you know sometimes ah. a one uh, sometimes a one lot is is big for me and it depends what it is but it you know I tend to well, trade pretty small yeah um to again grind it out because I don't like a lot of risk, but um, yeah, it's 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 about understanding what that really means and, yeah. and what the risk is. 
Um, and this this is the guy who's responsible for the risk of the firm, <laughs> right? The, this is the kicker, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of ironies in there for sure. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. But um, well, uh, yeah. Shout out, shout out to your wife. That's, yeah. Exactly. That's inc- that's yeah. incredible. You, you, you'll um, you'll you'll meet her in Vegas. She's coming out with me. Yeah, yeah. I can't I can't wait. Um, it should be uh, it should be interesting. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna uh, lightly mention her during the presentation and uh, maybe some of your guys uh, uh, nightly um, uh, trips, I guess. Uh, but um, all right, let's see here. I uh, want to wrap it up here soon, Steve. Um, yeah. uh, what traders did you have any traders uh, when you first you know were embarking on this that you looked up to? Um, you know, present or you know. Um, I guess yeah. it was past. Well, it's interesting because um, a lot of the people I learned from are actually probably speaking at the conference next week. Um, like uh, John Carter, I I learned some definitely some interesting things from um, Tom Sosnoff, um, the whole Tasty Trade thing. Peter Reznicek, um, I really really appreciate. And again, you know, it's interesting. His style is is quite different. It shares some similarities, um, for sure. But um, he's much more technically. He's he's much more of a charts person and and a technical trader. And I'm really just not. But I appreciate his perspective. Um, and again, he's you know all about market profile as well, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a there's definitely a number of people that um, have influenced me, um, both ways in options that I that I looked up look up to, and again, eternally grateful to, for just uh, Peter Resnicek making me listen to the Confessions podcast in the first place, and um, <laughs> that, you know, you, you guys resonating with me the way you talked about trading, um, it was like, wow, this is this is one of the first things I've come across that feels real quite frankly. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, shout out to Peter. That that had to have been our, I'm pretty sure awesome. our first guest, JJ. He was. Um, and I didn't know, I did not know a goddamn lick about trading. I feel like. <laughs> Man, you uh, have like, in those two years, right, you have like progressed at an exponential rate. And it just shows, because he came from, from a, you know, a poker background. So at least he had the risk management. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then he just put the knowledge together and he's just cooking with gas right now, you know? Yeah. And we, we love Peter. That man took 40 points off my blood pressure uh, yeah. by showing me market profile. Yeah. Wow, I can imagine. Just, you know, opened my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Very good guy and interesting guy. He's got a pretty dry sense of humor sometimes as well, which <laughs> I personally appreciate. And, yeah. and, um, yeah. Just, uh, just, just Peter, be careful on that electric uh, skateboard. All yeah, right. please. Please be careful. Yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So some miscellaneous stuff here. Uh yeah. Steve. Um so uh biggest cultural difference would you say between uh Brits and Americans? Uh biggest cultural difference. Um hmm. So some of it's the humor for sure. I have okay. to be careful. Um well, are Americans a little bit more uh, face value, right? Like, yeah. uh, like hard on their sleeve. Like, yeah, I and mean, you know, there's a difference between East Coast and West Coast. I'm a bit more sure. West Coast. I find a bit more relaxed and a bit more 
bit more chill, East Coast. I mean, I, you know, I love going to New York City because I find people so rude. It actually, it actually has the opposite. Like, I find it so, I won't say hilarious, but kind of it cracks me up that I'm yeah. just walking down the street and someone's barreling towards me. It's like, get out of my way. And <laughs> like, it's like, wow, that's kind of almost so comical to me that I appreciate it. Um, but um, yeah, so there's a sense of humor, a um, sometimes a brashness depending on the coast. Um, yeah, yeah, you you know, I think a bit more upfront. We're more, I think, genetically, with a lot of exceptions, reserved, uh, self-deprecating. I like to be self-deprecating. Um, that's part of my my whole thing. Um, I do remember when I first moved to California. This isn't necessarily a cultural thing, but it's a language. A language thing i was i remember distinctly being in a very busy lunchtime mcdonald's situation um and i was in in california just you know lines were long and i got to the front and you know people aren't expecting my accent and again you know it's funny i come from speech recognition so it's it's especially an interesting thing for me and i remember asking for a combo number three and i always you know do hold up three fingers just to make sure because people can't understand my my accent and um you know they got that and they were like do you want to drink with that and i'm like yeah coke and the lady was like uh do you want to drink with that i'm like yeah a, a, a coke and she was like oh well oh, oh, oh diet and I thought, oh, she's got the Coke, because now she's asking me, do I want diet or regular? And I said, oh, just, just regular. And then she looks confused, but she said, for the third time, do you want to drink with that? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just like, I don't know what's happening here. Everyone's getting annoyed behind me because it's, you know, fast food. And the guy right behind me just kind of leans, leans over from, from behind and, and said, he wants a Coke. And she was like, oh, Coke. And she, like, you know, goes to get And it was like, I was just, and I would, uh, I'd, been, I'd been in the U.S. for, like, a week. And um, it was just funny to me that, some, you know, and again, back to probability. How many drinks do they have? They have six drinks. They had Mr. Pibb. They had High Orange Sea. Mr. What, Pibb. What, what sounds like Coke? Yeah, let's, let's, out of, out of those options. If, <laughs> if you were going to pick one randomly... Or you know, based on the thing that kind of kind of sounds like Coke, even if you didn't really get it, what? Anyway, it's oh. just a, it was. I mean, it's not really a cultural thing. That was more of a um, yeah. Oh. Too, you know, separated by a common language and that whole that whole thing. Yeah, it's 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 like yeah, yeah come on, uh, deduce here, right? Not many options. It's hard. It's I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. It, it's tough getting uh, trying to understand and get along with. Um, uh what do we i call them normies now you know <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, I you know uh, oh i mean the magical thinkers yes 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 yeah. yeah nah it's it's no it's interesting that's why it was, it was funny even when we all met up in vegas steve you know um you know i'm sitting there like looking around and like even like yourself right from you know from england we had people obviously from the u.s we had people from south america shout out to Frederico. Yeah. Yeah. We had, you know, Canada in the building, like, and people yeah. that we probably all never would hang out. Like, what would this yeah. group of people be together exactly. other than like, we all trade and like, but we could all like, 
different age groups, different ethnicities, but we could all like relate to each other and yeah. talk and understand each other. And so I thought that was um, interesting because, yeah, like it's hard. I mean, at least I know for me, it's it's sometimes it's hard, like uh, relating to quote unquote normal people who have normal jobs who, you know, it's just we just were in a different realm, it, it, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I do have to be careful with non-trading people because I, you know, I get a bit passionate about it sometimes and I start talking about it because they ask and they probably wish they hadn't um, because then I start going off and it's, you know, the eyes glaze over and they, yeah, yeah. they don't care. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... I, I just uh, got to be careful talking sports uh, with people because, you know, cause especially like betting and like, you know, like that guy, your average bro is going to be like, oh, no way this team's going to win. Right. It, no way? Yeah. I'm like, you should no way? Like, uh, you know, and I've won a lot of bets that way. Just like, you know, I mean, but these people don't even like betting, to be honest. It's hard even getting fucking five bucks out of these people. But it's like, oh, you sound so (laughs) sure, though. You sound so sure. Are you sure you don't want to, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And again, you know, for me, it comes back to um, when do people, uh, we're all, you know, I'm not, I'm not infallible. Um, When do you, when is a win luck versus a due to a strategy? Yeah. And I think, again, that's a hard thing to, you know, I can bet on something just because I like the team and it wins. Well, that, that was just, that was luck. That wasn't, yeah. you know, probably anything else. Um, and I, I don't, I don't sports bet, but that's how I would do it. I would do it for fun. I go to a casino. I, I gamble the exact opposite way I trade, which yeah. is funny. Cause you, you you probably gamble how i trade and i gamble how i don't trade and how i shouldn't gamble quite frankly yeah but i it's a different thing i mean i'm i'm in the mode i mean i'm not in the mode that oh i'm gonna win the jackpot i'm gonna change my life you know if anything i'll change it for the worse on average for sure because over time i'm gonna lose and i know that but that's you know i'll have the same i'm i'm not gonna put all our life savings into a slot machine. Yeah. It's going to be play money. And my expectation is I'm fully not going to have any of it at the left of this session. That's, yeah. that's my mindset going in trading. You don't want to have that. You know, some people are effectively doing that same thing in trading. I have completely the opposite approach in trading, which is yeah. interesting to me. So, you know, I probably shouldn't gamble like I gamble, not that I gamble big. It's just, it's just fun. It's just, it's just fun. And I, I wish I could have more fun. Uh, cause I just, I take it too serious. I can't, I it's a business. Yeah. I, it's always is. I don't know if I just, just ingrained that into myself. I can't go into a game knowing I'm getting the worst of it. Uh, it's, it's yeah. a problem. I don't think I'm like, why can't I just go and have fun at the casino? Cause yeah. like, if I go with people, I'm like, ah, you know, maybe I'll just have a couple of drinks. I'll watch you, you know, or right. like, ah, I'll, yeah. <laughs> Or I'm going to go yeah. to the poker table. Like, I, I can't just, like, go and just have fun and willingly, like, know I'm going to lose my money. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Just everyone's different. That's probably just wired. my competitive. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. like, I want to win. Well, at a- yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it makes sense to me that that's, that's how you would train. You know, that's how you developed. Yeah, um, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So I want to ask you this. So before you're coming to America, right? So staying on this like British American mm-hmm. topic, yeah. like what what do you what was one of your biggest misconceptions about Americans before coming to America? That's a hard question. Um, well, I would say, I mean, this is 
definitely related to that. Um, I mean, the the um, <laughs> not to use magical thinking, but the kind of stars aligned. Um, I always had this vision of, wow, it would be really great to come to America. I, you know, grew up when Baywatch was on TV. So <laughs> at that age, and actually, actually, my um, my diet was Miami Vice and Baywatch oh, yeah. to some degree, right? Miami Vice. And yeah, you know, Crockett with his cool looking suits and no socks and white suit and his Fiat Ferraris and, and stuff. You're like, wow, that's a, like, that doesn't happen in England. You don't, you don't see exactly. now. Now I know that doesn't really happen in America to a large degree. I mean, you know, it, it can and it does, but it's not like, that's not the norm. That's not the thing. So I saw all this glamour and I saw, wow, in California, probably, I guess everyone just goes to the beach every day because why wouldn't you? Exactly. And so, but, you know, I was 14 or whatever, um, 15. Um, so I had this vision in my mind of at some point I would love, I, I didn't see a path to doing it, but I, God, I would love to move to America. And um, and even though I remember when I, when I did eventually move to America, um, I still had a little, and I, I happened, I mean, the company I was working for, the speech company after, um, after I graduated, the ones, you know, I went to Malaysia for a bit and I ended up in California. They opened an office in California. It was like, I remember thinking that dream I had from several years ago, it's sort of becoming true randomly that they, this very small company, I mean, they were a small 80 person company, opened an office in California. Not only did I had only really just joined them, but a few months later, my manager said, Hey, I want to send you to California. It was like, these things just kind of happened randomly. And I was like, yeah. And I, and I remember, um, hadn't been in America long and I was talking to someone and saying, I can't remember what we were talking about. Hey, she would go to the beach. And I remember her saying, do you think we honestly, and she was in San Francisco. She was like, do you think we just go to the beach every day? And I was like, I don't know, kind of. Yeah. So, and she was just laughing at me. Um, uh yeah i mean and there's a bunch of um things like healthcare where you know i come from a country where it's you don't think about healthcare because it's all government paid and you know when you're ill you go to a doctor and they'll do something or not and you know whatever and then i remember my very first job i got all this slap of paperwork and like you have to pick your healthcare plan and you and and i was looking through it and i was like i i, I don't know what any of this means and there was the premium they, there was the cadillac Cadillac Eldorado plan, and then there was the set of steak knives slash your fired plan, and you know one was catastrophic, and one was, and it was like back to my probability. I had to, I felt I had to figure out what's my probability of of dying from something catastrophic versus you know, and paying more for that plan versus this other thing. Back to the kind of probability. Yeah, yeah. And how do you make that decision? Like, I have no basis to make that decision because I don't have the data. And so not, I don't know if that's a cultural thing, but it, it's just a very interesting, there was a lot of learning, driving on the wrong side of the road. Um, <laughs> and, you know, my very first week, I had to fly to San Diego. I had to drive up to LA, eight, eight lanes each side of freeway. There was no GPS back then. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a paper, you know, map, and I'm just, it was just nuts. Yeah. Just crazy. How oh, uh, yeah, am I, am I very back to the culture? My very first, I was a, I was kind of a tech guy. I was turning up to uh, in, in Southern California, in San Diego and in England, when you're going to visit a customer, you wear a suit and a tie. So I dutifully brought my suit and my tie over to the, to the U S and, um, I turn up to this engineering company in my suit and my tie. And the guy that I was meeting first thing he says is you, he, he thought I was a sales guy. Not like this guy came come to help him. It was like I, I'm just going to cut that tie off because you need to dress down. <laughs> so you learn, you learn. You know, it takes time, but you learn. You learn to That's you learn to blend in. You start, yeah. you start to watch Seinfeld, and you start to go, okay, now I know what everyone's talking about. There you go, Seinfeld. Yeah, it's that's Seinfeld. some that that's some California shit, huh? It's too too much. Well, so so how much? Uh, we'll, we'll end on this because I've always like I always think this, you know, like I am I like you know JJ knows like I am I'm pretty grateful to you know be in Florida. I didn't grow up in Florida, and I really appreciate the weather. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it definitely, like, especially the winter months, I think it has a big impact on your mood. Like, have you noticed that? Like when you were like in England and going to California and like you know <clears throat> in yeah. Seattle, but <laughs> well, yeah, Seattle's Seattle's basically the mirror image of of London. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and that's okay for me because I'm, it doesn't particularly affect me. You know, if it, if it's gonna, we actually get less rain here than probably New York city. I think if you look at the stats and certainly Atlanta or somewhere like that, but mm-hmm. you know, we've got that, you know, it's probably similar to Vancouver, JJ. It's, it's that overcast. Oh yeah. You know, it, it day after day. It never gets really too cold, but it you know sometimes it gets a bit too hot. But you know, two weeks a year you need air conditioning. The rest of the time you don't. Um, it's pretty stable, but you get used to that. Yeah, California, Northern California, I was in for the most part. I, I found it to be the perfect climate. You know, you wake up, blue sky, pretty much every day. Yeah, it definitely, definitely makes a difference to the mood. I, I do miss that a little. Yeah. I, I have to admit, but um, I'm, I, I like Seattle. It it feels definitely. Um, it reminds me of England a lot more, um, to some degree. We don't have a space needle um, <laughs> in in London, but there's similar structures. Um, but yeah, and I don't I don't get back to England enough. Um, I would say uh, one of one of the things um, that the level of service in this country is amazing, and the choice you have you go oh. you go to a supermarket, you could buy whatever cereal, whatever color whatever whatever and they're probably open 24 hours a day and you can just do it in england it's like well there's two boxes and you know by the way we're closing in five minutes so hurry up about it and get out um and i you know i'm kind of kidding but i i do remember being used to the having been here for a few years i was used to that level of service where people fall up you walk into a store and suddenly can i help you with anything i'm like i don't know i just i just i just got here it's like, wow, you know, back off and all that kind of thing, which is funny. But and in England, it's more like you walk in and they're like, you know, we're just hurry up because I'm going to close in 10 minutes. So, you know, hopefully you won't buy anything and trouble me with your purchase um, <laughs> kind of attitude. I remember being in a in a pharmacy in England and someone was stacking the shelves, someone who worked there stacking the shelves. And I was just browsing for something nearby. And a lady came over to her and said, oh, um, where do I find the moisturizer or whatever it was? 
and the person kind of who was stacking the shelves who worked there kind of su- gave this big kind of sigh. You could tell she was like, Ugh. and and said, you know what? They keep changing things around in this store. Even I can't find anything. And then just went back to stacking her. <laughs> and I was just, I was cracking up because that's the England I know and love, and it's just 180 degrees away from the level of service you, you get in the US. So those kinds of things I I kind of have a comical appreciation for. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, all right. Well, I think we'll we'll end it on that. That will conclude today's episode of Confession of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the episode, uh, please. Uh, like it and leave a review if you'd like to join a professional supportive trading community. You can join us at microefutures.com. Uh, Steve, let the people know where they can find you and anything else you want them to know. Sure. Well, they can definitely find me in the trading rooms. Um, also, I have a site, Options Savvy. That's two S's, optionssavvy.com. Um, they can check out the training that I've got there if they want to learn more about options. Um, and that's pretty much it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. And if you guys are in Las Vegas, um, what, what what date is it? Um, well, the, it starts, the, the whole uh, thing starts on the 24th, Thursday. And then we are, we're talking in Vegas on the 26th, Saturday, the 26th. The 26th. All right. So if you guys were there that weekend, like 24th, 26th, anywhere around that time period, we are going to be in Vegas. Um, hit us up, message me on Twitter or wherever we'll be in Vegas. Um, we'd love to meet up with anybody. Um, so JJ, any parting words? Oh, thank you so much for being with us. Really. Uh, this is great. Really looking forward to the, the work you're going to do with our folks in the, in the room and just really, it's, it's nice to have someone. Um, you can always tell when someone's explaining something, you know, they know it, it's clear they can explain it in a fashion where people can understand it. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I always like about trading education. Uh, educators yeah. Who do that, you know? Yeah. There's a lot, there's, like I said, there's a lot of bad stuff out there. I try and come at it from how put myself in my shoes when I was learning, like it is complicated. How do I break it down? So appreciate that JJ. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And so for Steve hedge, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the gorilla of house street. You stop, so. <laughs>